your hopeful journey. Imagine if that head trash was not there. Who would you be? What if I told you those fears were no longer a problem? What would you do? I'm Stephanie Costello, a mom of three, wife, and avid mountaineer. Beyond all of these, I am, very much like you, an average person trying to navigate this thing we call life. My goal with this podcast is to bring to light the truth about what intimacy really is. You may smile, feel called out, or learn something new. Either way, you will learn you are in control. This episode is brought to you by Safety in Freedom. Are you struggling to find safety in the freedom you create? Or maybe you're struggling to own your power, embrace who you are, and break free from those toxic patterns? Well, let's help you solve this problem today. Let's figure out what is really happening in your relationships with yourself and others. You can do that for free today at safetyinfreedom.com forward slash call. That is safetyinfreedom.com forward slash call. In addition, if you are looking for support with what we've been talking about in today's episode, I want to encourage you to get our free tools to help you navigate your freedom. You can go now to safetyinfreedom.com to get those resources. If you'd like access to the special resources and all the show notes for the special episode, make sure to visit theintimacytruths.com. Today, I have the pleasure of introducing to you Brian Nandy, who is a highly respected psychoanalyst, clinical supervisor, and certified Meyer-Briggs personality type trainer with 20 years of experience helping individuals identifying character strengths with practical solution-focused approaches that align healthier beliefs with their vision of success. Brian is the founder of BN Counseling and Coaching, a group practice that is passionate about helping highly driven professionals find clarity and to revive their passion and purpose. All right. All right. Welcome to the Intimacy Truths podcast where we have Brian Nandy here to talk to us about your hopeful journey. Um, And I am super excited to have you because your knowledge and experience and expertise just brings so much to, as we were just talking about, together. And um, so I'm really excited to learn more about you and your journey. Oh, thank you so much, Stephanie. Um, So what I'll say, the, the encapsulation of our conversation will be surrounded around, you know, psychoanalysis and psychotherapy and my personality type from the Myers-Briggs, which is called, uh, you know, the ENFJ. I'm mm. like to be the, the mentor, the giver, uh, the teacher. So how I started with the hopeful journey is that, should I start with that? Like, how do you begin? Sure, if, you'd, if that's where you'd like to start, please. So, you know, I, I grew up from in my younger, younger days, right, uh, in Malaysia, there's primary school and secondary school. So primary school will be up to what we would say over here, sixth grade, seventh grade and above would be considered uh, secondary school. So life was pretty good, but at some point during the recession in the 80s, you know, the family had experienced poverty. Mm. And it took such a toll on us, an incredible toll in regards to how much we could eat and what we had to sacrifice. And it happened so quickly in a year. Um, but thankfully, my parents, especially my mother, who's a teacher, uh, 
and she herself is the an outcome of uh, World War Two. So she has this resilient factor in her mm. that is intrinsic, highly developed, that taught us uh, to to keep a vision going of a life that we wanted. So the practice of this embracing hope in its power, not from a weak sense or a begging sense of hope, not a hope of despair, but a believing like we are meant to have a, a better life. Uh, there are skills within us that we can develop and that we can individuate, um, become independent and take care of ourselves and be greater than our suffering. Mm. So it was a daily practice of contrast. How do we live? How do we live on so little but stand tall for who we are at the same time. How do we continue to keep marching on and protect our self-esteem even when it's getting assaulted on a daily basis? Mm. That was the beginning of my teenage years. So, you know, my teenage years to me was a highly difficult journey and struggle. But I always had this vision in my head that I am meant for greatness in a sense, right? I'm meant to live well, I'm meant to thrive, I'm not meant to live in poverty forever. And um, so in Malaysia, you know, uh, we have a, a week called English Week where we put to present in English. And I was reading this one article and, um, and in that article, there was this spelling of a word which I did not pronounce, psychologist. I didn't know that the P was silent, so I said psychologist. <laughs> and my teacher was like, this is English week, the P is silent, it's a psychologist. I was like, oh, so I'm learning something new. But I did, I, I, even at that time, I didn't know what psychologist meant, so I had to look up in that time an encyclopedia and a dictionary. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, and reading this article, and it was helping teenagers going through a difficult time, divorces and etc., etc., I was like, oh, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I was 15. But I had no idea of how to get there, okay? Universities were limited. There were only seven universities in Malaysia. And mm. there's a system as to how many could get into it. You've got to, after, after high school, there's two more years of school. There are national examinations that, uh, that, that define whether you go on or not. Wow. And, um, and I did not. And it was such a shame to the I mean, I could have gone in as a second round for uh, teaching English as a second language. I went to a Catholic school in my primary school years, so English was, you know, something that I spoke, but that wasn't really what I wanted to do. So I ran away, in a sense. I ran away to a place called Club Med. I became a singer. I got my time away and got my head clear, and I was still, this is what I wanted to do. And just in envisioning, right, so uh, the, the hopeful journey is so dependent on the, uh, the big pictures we have in our heads. But those pictures can come true only if we believe them. Mm. And in, in, in our system, there's this thing called uh, the zygonic effect, which is a need for completion. You have a goal, and, and you will want to complete it. And it happens when we keep wondering, thinking, feeling, believing it. I knew it at the core of my being in every cell in my body that this was my calling. But I didn't know how I was going to get there. 
so at, at many levels and as, as I was growing up and all that, it was just a secret wish that I had. And I felt like that's, that's a calling that I cannot disobey. But because I didn't have the means to do that, I got into, when I came back from Club Med, uh, I got scholarships to go to other schools to become an accountant and business, but that wasn't my thing. So I decided mm. to turn them down. And my parents were like, what are we going to do with this child? <laughs> <laughs> so because I spoke English, uh, a friend of mine who worked for an advertising agency asked if I'd like to be a copywriter, an Indian, Malay translator, etc interpreter and, and translator and uh, so I did that and from that I made money I went to school to a private school college uh, in advertising and then there was the American degree program which a friend of mine had gone into which is like a, a, a county college but they happened to have an American associates uh, subjects courses that were offered if we decided to go to America because Malaysia is a Commonwealth country, so it's essentially we would go to all the British governed countries. But to go to America, you'd have to have different requirements, etc. So did that, got a scholarship, and just like that, I got an, uh, you know, an acceptance, and um, and I was going to be on my way to America. All by yourself. All by myself. Just a bag. Two bags. Hopeful. If there was nothing hopeful about that, <laughs> then I don't know what is. You know, maybe you've seen it in like some movies, right? When I was going to apply to get my student visa at the American embassy, and we were all holding on to the gates. You had to be there like four o'clock in the morning because people were already camping out. And I <sighs> had no money. Had no money. And they needed a certain amount of money to kind of kind of state that um if you're going to come to America, then you're really going to go to school. They're not just going to you know, get there and then not work. Right. So no money. And there had needed to be a certain amount of money in my bank account. So out of this, this, this contrast of despair, but like a real determination, I've got to make this work. Mm-hmm. And I started to borrow money. I started asking people for money. And I don't ask because, you know, we grow up with pride. Do not act poor. Yeah. Okay. you have etc right so even though we were only eating rice and just mango for like years and years and years i couldn't take mangoes anymore but now i love them but um i asked my boss and, and he loaned me like i don't know like forty five thousand dollars like here take it there was another previous boss and i asked her and she's like well i can give you this money but i'll hold these stocks and um, shares and a whole bunch of jewelry if you can get it appraised and hopefully that and I did all of that wow <laughs> and I saved up some money of my own as well because in advertising I thrived really before so with that money I put it in my bank account as soon as I got my visa I returned them so that I was so nervous if they would I, I, I guess essentially it came up to about, uh, about 88,000 some, somewhere around the US dollars in my bank account good people lending me money which you know I almost had to humble myself to ask that but I had a good relationship with them and they trusted me they trusted you would be able to get it back mm-hmm. <clears throat> Plus, I knew where I lived and I was their boss and it would be very shameful if I didn't do that yeah. but <laughs> but I think I you know I, I'm hoping that while I worked with them I, I I presented with an integrity as best as I could whatever it is you know I just had to be authentic and, and this is my word was all I could really offer 
So I really had to keep my word. Once mm. I got it, I returned the money and I got the visa. Getting that visa, right, was such a defining moment. Your ticket to freedom. And to my purpose. Mm. Well, I'm actually a biracial. My, my mom's Chinese, my dad's Indian. And, you know, we, uh, we fall into a very interesting category in, in Malaysia and there's certain expectations of us. And, and my parents were, were very forward-thinking and they raised us to, to question popular belief in a sense. So we never really fit or conformed to the norms. Mm. Right? I mean, I have biracial, interracial parents. And in, in, in that, inherently, we, we are taught to view the world differently. Mm-hmm. My parents were also teachers, so they were teaching and, you know, and question about the world, etc. And um, so, 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 so I never really felt at that time that I fit in Malaysia, and I certainly would not be able to get my degree in psychology at that time. This was about 25 years ago, 26 years ago, right? So waiting for your turn embassy right and because the interviews are very they're very hot you know they're very cold they're very flat so you don't know you can try to be friendly and all that but it almost like doesn't count for anything mm-hmm. right so just waiting and i remember that moment when when i received that my passport and in it there's an envelope open that envelope that that, that envelope and i got my visa and it was in, 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 in inserted in one of the pages, which I didn't know it would be in there. I said, what is this? And I remember walking, you know, because I had to take about two or three buses to get to the embassy, no car. And, uh, and I just remember my every cell in my body had transformed. And I was just so thankful of thanking God. I just, all I could do, that 25 minute out to walk to a bus stop. I just kept thinking, thank you, God, thank you, God. And, um, and then I was off my way to America. And it has its own challenges, right, 25 years. But everything that I have desired in my life, everything, I've experienced it and, and received it or afforded it. So many years later, after September 11, um, when you know, everything was uh, lights out and all that, and we were nothing else to do except for the, the radio and trying to figure out what's going on. I decided to come up, me and my friend decided to come up with a, a vision board. And I've been doing vision boards in a sense from my younger days about what I want in my life. And they were like, just simply like words on a paper. I never really did the paper cutting of images and all that kind of stuff. I drew them. And um, and I remember, you know, in 2001, during the, I just graduated from my master's in May and in September. And I just wrote my list. And right after that, because Malaysia is a Muslim country, now how was I going to get my uh, green card or my citizenship? I was still working for the university. I was trying to get a job in, in, in the hospital to be a therapist. And it was really hard. But I was persistent. And I've experienced I came to New Jersey with only $73. Nothing, 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 nothing. And I remember, you know, but I was I was able to get a position as a um, graduate assistant, where you get to go to school, it's free, and you get a stipend. But there was some paperwork mix up, and I had no money. 
so I had like $73 that to be so mindful to not spend. I had no cups, papers, nothing because now I'm living in a new place. There was no, there was, uh, I couldn't afford to pay for the cafeteria package. So I had to, you know, supply myself. So I just drank water from a tap for like a week. And finally, I asked the, the, the secretaries at the office, like, do you have plates or like cups that, you know, I could use? And they gave me stuff like that. And, and, and people in my office, when I told them, like, um, I've not received my $120 paycheck. And I've got things to pay for. <laughs> And I remember them just being so protective of me. And she, Pat Druidge was her name. And she took me and we marched to the whatever office that was in charge of you know, payment for the students. And she advocated for me. And they all gave me some money uh, to buy. So I was crying. I had to go to a food pantry before that to a church. She said, like, I've got no food. <laughs> Could you give me something? And the priest was going to go, I've got $20. I'm like, thank you. Went to shop right. There was ramen noodles, 10 for a dollar. I'm like, let me have all these ramen noodles. Broke it in half, right? <laughs> half for lunch, half for dinner. Yeah, with the stupid <laughs> packet of sodium. Oh, that was like my jam. The best part as a kid was putting butter and cheese in it. And it was just like so good but i would never eat that again <laughs> right oh my god but it was so scary and i remember that one night i could not sleep and i just wrote all my worries on a piece of paper just wrote out in the dark i said god you gotta handle this because there's no more space in here and i just can't figure it out and then in two weeks they were all resolved so so I think even in this morning, right, I received some news and it just shook me and I was like, okay, you got to center yourself again. It took me about like 15 minutes to 20 minutes to center myself. The storm within, not just center myself, but align myself. Like remember, remember, what is it to you? What is it that you desire? So the way I've led my life is to be led by my vision, to be led by my dreams to live from one dream to the next. And dreams do come true. It's just that we've got to execute it. We can't just be sitting and thinking like, oh, let me dream this up and it's gonna appear. Of course it takes effort, right? So, so, and, I, I, and it's not like I execute it any faster than others. Some do it really fast, they set their mind and then they get it done. I do take a bit more time because I need all my information before I do stuff. Uh, and it depends on what it is. Something sometimes you just got to go with your knowing. So that's how the hopeful journey for me has become a way of life, and I'm working on a workbook called that. And essentially, I've taken two different um, framework. One is the the Chinese right, like feng shui. It's called the bakwa, which is like the nine areas of a room, and it addresses the nine areas of life, so to speak, nine clusters or domains of life. And I've also taken and. Um, a template of the hero's journey in, in, in uh, storytelling. I just used it as certain um, turning points uh, of what a person has to go through and taken psychology, psychoanalysis, and given psychology uh, 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 information to back it up. Otherwise, it can feel you know, a little shishy, feel like, like what is this to, you know, out there? And, or not even there, it's just non-believable so i decided to add some psychology to it to give it that backing and the potential and understanding and credibility really 
Exactly. The credibility is important because, you know, recently, for example, I was, I was in connecting with a, a coach in the area, in my local area. And, you know, their website was marketing was really great. They were using really hot button psychology terms. But when, you know, a website uses those hot button psychology terms, it diminishes the uh, importance of the psychology field and psychoanalysis and all the research that's gone into how humans behave and, and emotional and communication and behavioral health, right? Um, so I definitely appreciate that there's that backing in that psychology because modern society or average society deserves to hear that, right? They deserve to know that background. It's just once it's out there, people read it and then they think that they're now an expert. And so um, it can be kind of challenging to help them understand, you know, you can't just wake up one day and be like, I'm a mental health provider, right? Just like you can't wake up one day and be like, I'm a doctor or a physical therapist. There's, mm -hmm. there's a reason why education is so such an impactful piece uh, to our society. And as information gets more readily available, we want to respect those self-taught learners, right? But at the same time, the self-taught learners they do have to make sure that they're uh, referring to the right areas and the right people, uh, you know, know your limits and, and know what you're, where, what you can provide so that you can, we can have a, a collective all of improving people and, and improving our society and, and having that uh, tribal leadership, which, which is one of my favorite topics to be talking about right now. Um, but tell us more about your workbook. Tell us, uh, you started, I kind of cut you off there, but I love just hearing you riff. So the nine areas of life from Chinese and the hero's journey, um, how did you make that all come together in a book? So what I decided to do was uh, to, to think about the important areas, uh, important stuff that we've got to address in regards to envisioning, right? Our lives and, and to address different components of it, our attitude towards life, the aspect of forgiveness and apologies as well, as, as, as stuff that can get in the way of progression, our defenses, right? I may want to move forward, of course we're, we will, but there's stuff that's holding us back. Imagine if we were just more free of some of these defenses and belief systems. And it's not the, 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 the and, it, and it's transitional and it's transformative, right? That we get better and better and better. It's like a video game, you know? Like sometimes I, uh, I, I catch myself like, oh God, haven't I not dealt with this already? It's just that now in a video game, it, Candy Crush, I guess, you know, though I'm at level 322, which I'm, I don't even know what that is, but it, the difficulty at that level is so different from playing Candy Crush in the, you know, level one to 10, you know, to, to, to figure it out. So, so it's about refining it and life is so full of contrasting experiences, right? In, in, in psychoanalysis, the term would be called ego syntonic, right? Like living in contrast. And then ego dystonic is trying to be in alignment. And when we're trying to be in alignment and trying to be healthy, it feels highly dysfunctional. The familiar of dysfunction no, is what we know and familiar can feel very healthy. So we go right back into it because it's kept us alive. But when we're trying to develop a new way of being, how we want to show up in the world uh, with new belief systems, it's, it's not ingrained as yet. Such an incredible point um, and, and something recently that my daughter experienced at school, um, which is kind of sad, is uh, from a, a BIPOC child selling, uh, not selling, saying to my kid, oh, um, because you have blonde hair, blue eyes and white skin, 
you're 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 disgusting um in in the second grade right and so our kids have obviously never heard anything along those lines um and so she's like why am i disgusting because i have white skin and it's i honestly don't know how to approach this conversation um, to, to best educate her and serve the collective all, you know, that that's a significant piece of contrast in our, our society right now. And, and, you know, my husband and I crave an aim for, uh, inclusivity and uh, across the board, not just BIPOC individuals, but, um, anyone who has a identity that they believe and enjoy about themselves, we want to promote that inclusivity and, uh, eradicate racism. So then now that it's being brought into her childhood, it's like, what do I do? And then how do I teach her what to do, you know, in her environment? So could you give me some examples in your workbook and how that would be helpful? So one thing about identity reformation, right? However we see ourselves and, 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 and identity formation, a parent's perception, assurance, reminder, empowerment, recognition, approval is part of our identity formation. So, you know, the concept of internal locus of control and external locus of control. So what the workbook is about is really about our internal locus of control. We can't control the circumstances out there. We can't control people and how they view us. But we can control how we feel. We can control our, the habits of our heart and mind. And so what parents can do is to remind them that, that, that who they are on the external may not be within their control. They are beautiful just the way they are, even more. So beautiful and so cute that you want to eat them, but you, you can't do that. But what's even more beautiful is their inner strength. So when we can't control the external, we control the internal, especially our belief systems. When we are hurt, go inward and attend to those hurt parts and take good care of them and put them back together. And then you can go march out into the world again. Yeah, so powerful because we were actually, um, this had been a new thing that just got introduced to us this past week, but prior to there has been like, that person's my friend and that person's not my friend. And that person said this and that person said that. And like all this, you know, weird stuff, uh, second grade, you know, drama. And, um, she, I, we role played and I said to her, I said, okay, I'm going to be the mean one. She's like, okay. And I was like, and you're going to practice on how to be kind, how to say kind things back. And she go, and I said, your mother's stupid. And she's like, Oh, you're not stupid. She got so defensive and so mad. I was like, I know I'm not stupid, Tina. Right. But what are you going to say? If somebody says that to you, how are you going to remain that kind person and be, you know, I try to be careful because I don't want her to be like, well, I'm bigger and I'm better because I'm not being mean. Right. Cause that's the same thing, just, you know, in a, in a really a different way. Um, and so I'm trying to help her with like being kind. Well, your hair is ugly. Okay, uh, maybe, but your hair is really pretty, right? I don't want to be your friend. Okay, well, if you change your mind, I'm happy to be your friend, right? And just kind of trying to embrace it. Um, 
but she has a really hard time with impulse control. So she, and she's very blunt and honest like me. She's unfortunately got that, that uh, trait of mine. Um, so when it comes to, is there a next step process where you kind of know that kindness, you kind of, you know what to say, you have that know, that knowledge and that sense of knowing, but internally that struggle, right? So for her at, at, at a seven-year-old level, um, she knows to be kind, but then to be like, well, why is this person being mean to me and not having an understanding of the bigger picture of what's going on around us? Um, how do you help her with remain understanding that confidence um, and that you're even more beautiful inner strength? Like, how do you get her to believe in that when all the other messages around her, not all, but some of the messages around her are not in alignment with that? Yeah, I think you can always hear it from your, your child, but first... I think it's important to know that in the first stage of life, right, there are, so, there are so many challenges that we are going through because it's almost necessary for us to experience the difference so that we, we can be reminded about who we are and who do we want to be. So with every repeated experience, the reminder of you are not that, you are this. This is who you are in your beauty, in your kindness, in your capacity to rise above, to be vulnerable and to be strong at the same time, to get hurt and to be loving, to be hurt but empowered. I think the shifting in our perception and attitude towards life is really key, how good we are at, at shifting and being mindful about how much emotion or intensity of thought to an injury. In essence, how do we learn to not romanticize the tragedy? Oh, true. Wow, that's so powerful. How do we say that again? Not how romance. The tragedy. the tragedy. Yes, so powerful. And you know, my my husband unfortunately heard this before I did. And I hadn't educated him uh, yet on what I have been working on with her uh, with communication. And uh, thankfully, I get to have a conversation with her after school. Apparently, school is going to be, you know, supporting the journey. But I want to say to her, you know, the next time you have the chance to talk to your friend who looks different in you than you in any way, shape or form, your skin is beautiful and so is mine, right? You are beautiful and so am I. And really trying to help her embrace that and not feel so tied down to, I think partially, uh, truthfully, mom mistake, um, you know, having children younger and being diagnosed with PTSD after having children, uh, her her foundational years, three to five were kind of tough. That was a very tough time for me as a mom. And so she has this very intense uh, need to take care of others because I was like, you need to take care of your brother. You need to take care of your brother. And, you know, expecting her to be bigger than what she was at her age, which is a common mistake in most parents, especially stay-at-home parents when we're, we're chasing after everybody else and trying to figure stuff out. And um, I put like the fear of death in her in some ways, you know, in way more intense than it needed to be at her level, which created a lot of stress. And so now we're kind of working on under unwinding that um, she has a really hard time when she knows that something is wrong or bad and somebody else is doing it to not butt in. Well, I need to help them so they don't get in trouble. Right. Or to not try to control them. And so, for example, <laughs> 
She's so funny. She's like, everybody was asking me if I was okay. Everybody said they missed me. They were all running up and asking me a bunch of questions. So I told them to all get in a line and I'll tell them. <laughs> I'm like, kid, you can't control the masses. <laughs> I was like, what? I was like, Melody, if you're overwhelmed, you need to talk about what's, how you're feeling and you need to share. I, I'm happy to answer your questions, but I'm really overwhelmed. I can't answer too many questions at one time. Um, and so instead of trying to tell them what to do, you need to tell them what you would like to do and, and kind of translating that. And is that like a normal seven-year-old thing for people to say, kids to say? She's grown up. Uh, she is. She's definitely a lot more mature for her age, which is socially challenging for her because I obviously have such an emotionally intelligent conversation. So when she has that intelligence that other kids her age don't, uh, she's like, how do I even communicate and socialize with you? Um, so globally, right, the oldest child, that's why when we think of birth order, right? Yeah. Because there are certain roles that certain... Uh, you know, uh, in the birth order. That yes. All just have their own neurosis in that sense, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So tell us more about your book, uh, the workbook, and what would be the founding, like what would be uh, a great way to kind of close the workbook in a, in a, in a um, uh, summary of, you know, kind of what we've talked about and how would I summarize this close in this kind of example we've been sticking with? Yeah, I think what my challenge in life and what's what, why what the purpose of this book is how do we, from from a sense of experience life in actual poverty, had affected my poverty mindset. That even though and and and, and that when I while I was a problem solving person, I came from a place of lacking, and that's so much energy yes i was just gonna say poverty mindset for the listeners is not just finances it's energy it's spirituality it's relationships it's time it's connections it's it's a lack in something in some area of your life that you're feeling and embodying and embracing and that lack is what's painting the picture for you and it's you have the power to change it yeah i mean and so the practice has been about abundance and I have to tell myself, Brian, everything that you've desired, you've experienced, everything, and isn't that abundance? So why not just stick to thinking in abundance, dreaming big, going for it, and just letting go of that old way of being that have kept you alive where you've got to be calculated about how much money you have, you know, that hyper budget and planning the whole year and how much I can... And, and you know, I'm going to graduate in two years and not in four years. You know, that, that sense of calculation, I don't need that anymore. It's brought me to a place where I can live in freedom, right? And everything I've done is to be on that path to live light and in calm and in freedom and in support that I can be uh, 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 unlimited in what I want to offer, but also recognize when I can't and understand my limitation. And so what this book does is in a sense to try and try and make that shift into an abundant mindset. And the process, just like your child, right? The process of empathize, appreciate and empower, empathize with your journey, with your past, respect it, give it honor, remove the shame and regret from it. And then appreciate your self, practice of it, appreciate 
you know, uh, your capacity to stay alive and a desire to want to be more, to then be as basic as that. And then uh, empower. Em uh, a frightened person makes frightened decisions. A scared person makes scared and afraid decisions. An empowered person makes empowered decisions. So essentially what this book is about is care about how you feel. Our feelings and our thoughts are our fuel. They can drive us or drain us. So when we are lost, we've got to calm the ocean within. We've got to call upon the empowered version of us, the guardian within us to take care of our frightened little child. Center, rupture and repair. And then the question is, what's the next loving thing to do? for me or what's the next empowering thing to do for me otherwise you'll be a tendency to want to do for others yes so freaking powerful i am so beyond grateful that you have come into my life uh you know having somebody with your abundance mindset and the tribal leadership this fifth stage is um innocent wonderment and it talks about uh, our tribes and how our tribes do not compete with each other, that we compete with what's possible and not with other tribes. Um, and, and believing in what's possible, believing in that connection and that bond and that empowerment and uh, embracing differences and being confident and excited about those differences. There's just so much that's involved there. And I'm so grateful uh, to be able to have that mutual understanding and belief in our world, uh, because there's so much not that, and it's it, it that pain is just being perpetuated and perpetuated, um, and it's the pain is remaining alive, and we want to feel alive in 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 ways that are empowering and not painful. So thank you for being you. Thank you. Oh, I answered your questions. <laughs> You did. You did an amazing job. And where can people find your workbook? Oh, it will soon be on Amazon. I just received the new edits today and hopefully in about two to three weeks. But let's set a deadline by the end of the month. It will be on Amazon.com. Awesome. And so it's it's called Your Hopeful Journey. The Hopeful Journey. The Hopeful Journey. And um, do you have a website? Yes, I do. It's bncounseling.com. And we are in the process of creating, we've bought the domain name, hopefuljourney.com. Yay. So awesome. F-U-L-L. Yes. Hopeful journey. I love it. I'm so excited. Thank you for being here. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. This episode is brought to you by Safety in Freedom. Are you struggling to find safety in the freedom you create? Or maybe you're struggling to own your power, embrace who you are, and break free from those toxic patterns? Well, let's help you solve this problem today. Let's figure out what is really happening in your relationships with yourself and others. You can do that for free today at safetyinfreedom.com forward slash call. That is safetyinfreedom.com forward slash call. In addition, if you are looking for support with what we've been talking about in today's episode, I want to encourage you to get our free tools to help you navigate your freedom. You can go now to safetyinfreedom.com to get those resources. 
If you'd like access to the special resources and all the show notes for this special episode, make sure to visit theintimacytruths.com.